0: To Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. This episode is airing on Tuesday, December 1st, 2020. Hi everyone. This is Shannon and I am here with a few things today. First up, we have an author interview that Stacy and I were fortunate enough to be able to do with Laurie Nelson Spielman and we'll be talking about her November release which is called The Star-Crossed Sisters of Tuscany, fantastic women's fiction set in Italy. I hope all of you will pick it up and love it um, if you haven't already done so. So we will do that interview. And then we have a bunch of new book releases because it is the first Tuesday in December. So before we get into all that, I have the usual housekeeping information for you. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. And now, here is our interview with author Lori Nelson-Spielman on The Book Bistro Podcast. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and I have Stacy with me here. Today, we are joined by author Laurie Nelson Spielman, whose latest novel, The Star-Crossed Sisters of Tuscany, is out at the time of this interview today, so November 17th. So, Laurie, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much, Stacy and Shannon. It's just great to be with you.
0: So can we start out by giving listeners a little bit of an introduction to the Starcross Sisters of Tuscany?
1: Sure. Um, the Starcross Sisters of Tuscany is about a 200-year-old curse that dictates that second-born daughters in the Fontana family will never find lasting love. And there are two cousins, Amelia and Lucy, who are kind of at opposite ends of the spectrum. One is happily single and kind of hides behind the curse. And Lucy is desperate to break the curse. But both of them believe that they are cursed because they're second daughters. Um, That is until their great aunt Poppy, who's also a second daughter, invites them to Italy where she declares she is going to meet the love of her life on her 80th birthday on the steps of the Ravello Cathedral and break the curse once and for all.
0: Amazing.
2: Oh, I love this book so much. <laughs>
0: um,
2: so Thank could you, you tell our listeners a little bit about your inspiration for writing this book? Um, I I read your author note at the end of the book, and I just think it's such an interesting story about kind of what began this process.
1: So thank you. Uh, my, many years ago, several years ago, I received a six page letter from a, a German reader. His name was Dieter, uh, he goes by Dito. And Dito grew up in East Germany uh, during World War II. And then later was, was in communist, communist East Germany and got trapped behind the Iron Curtain. And made a harrowing escape and left behind the love of his life. Um, actually, spoiler alert: he went back for her and they lived happily ever after. Oh, yeah, but, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah! I know. And he went on to become a world-famous juggler. He juggled um, in, you know, Las Vegas and on cruise ships and had this wonderful life. And he and I have become just great uh, pen pen pals. He wanted me to write his biography, but. I, I don't write biographies. So I wrote him back and told him that. And, and since then, we've, we've just become great friends. He even visited um, one time from Germany. But he I asked him, um, I love I loved this idea of, of one person trapped behind the Iron Curtain and not able to get out of um, the country and and the other person escaping. And so I asked him if I could use parts of his story. And he was very happy to let me do that. So the character Eric, um, the German man who uh, Poppy meets in Italy, is based on Rico, on, I'm sorry, on Dito's story, loosely based.
2: I just thought that was such an interesting premise to begin with, um, and I love I love the character of Eric
1: in the story, um, Rico, I thought he was such a great... <clears throat> and, and, Dita would be pleased to hear that. And he's just the sweetest man, too. So, well,
2: I think a lot of people are going to crush on his um, fictional. (laughs) 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 I mean, a violinist and, you know, oh, my gosh, it was. Yeah, I changed
1: I changed him to a violinist rather than a juggler. Yeah. (laughs) A little more (laughs) romantic.
2: Yes.
1: Um, So there's so much to
2: unpack about this book. I feel like, uh, you know, you have a lot of just really deep deep things that you're tackling here. And and I'm very fascinated by um, your family dynamics um, in this book and how much, this is sort of like a a multi-part question. So I guess I'm gonna start with how much do you feel that Italian culture specifically um, kind of influences the way that the family interacts with each other but also with the world at large, I guess is the first part of my question.
1: Um, That's that's good. I I don't want to stereotype, but based (laughs) on, I do have, we have dear friends, uh, Joe and Elaine Natoli, who grew up in this Bensonhurst neighborhood with their Nona and their aunts and uncles and cousins. And I've always been fascinated by their childhood and what what growing up in that uh, Italian-American, you know, that ethnic family and ethnic community uh, with the traditions from the old world. Um, And I think I think it's kind of a blessing and a curse of where you know you've got this wonderful family right there, and you're never alone right. you also never have any privacy and everybody's weighing in on uh what they think you know your life should be like or or um you know they think that maybe their your business is their business at yes least in the book, so uh,
2: And, you know, kind of building on that, I mean, how do you feel, do you feel that the majority of this family legitimately believes in these different superstitions that so much of this book is based upon?
1: I think that they all sort of poo-poo it and say, of course, it's a, of course, it's, you know, not a curse. You know, we Mm -hmm. don't believe in curses, but, but they, the whole The family dynamic is is entrenched in this curse. And so, like Aunt Carol, whose daughter, second daughter, Lucy, she is just desperate to have Lucy break that curse and meet someone. Yeah. Um, Starting with a young age, putting her in beauty pageants and. No more
0: soccer. (laughs) No more soccer, (laughs) yes.
1: No more balls. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So, um,. So, yes, even I guess unwittingly, they established the pecking order based on this curse. Um, Amelia is just totally taken advantage of by her older sister because that's great. You know, Emmy will always be around to babysit and, you know, um, help me bake cakes and homework with the girls because, you know, what else has she got to do?
2: Because there's a curse.
1: Exactly. (laughs) It's not my problem. It's not my fault that she that she's doomed to a life without love. It's the curse. So when you
0: were doing some of your research, and we can go back more to research um, later on in the interview, but what sort of inspired you to create this curse and its like effect on our family here?
1: When I, I used to be a high school guidance counselor, and I remember my young female student's coming to me and they would be all heartbroken over some teenage boy who, you know, ghosted them. And I remember, yes. (laughs) yes, we remember that. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, you're so young and you, you know, just forget about these boys at this age. And I just wish I had a crystal ball and I could say, look, you're going to be happy 15 years down the road, you're going to be in a wonderful relationship. Just enjoy enjoy this time now and don't worry about boys. But then I also thought, what if the opposite were true? What if someone knew from a very young age, you're never going to have romantic love in your life? I mean, might that actually allow them to live more authentically and, and take the, all that pressure off that sometimes women feel about having the traditional yeah. life Mm -hmm. Um, so that's where the idea, and then of course I'm thinking, so why would anyone ever think they were not going to find love? And so that's where the idea of a curse came in. I love that. I I do too. Yes.
2: So can we please talk for a bit, uh, spoiler free about Rosa and the way that, basically her sort of force has helped to mold three generations of women and the beliefs that they hold. And I'm just curious what it was like to write
1: a character like Rosa. Yeah, Yeah, she was, she was something else. And I could just, I just pictured this, you know, pinched older woman who's just filled with bitterness and envy and all those things that, that Rot your soul. Yes, and and then she has this power over everyone because she owns the family bakery uh, where everyone works. She owns the home that they rent um, apartments in. So she's just she's got them, um, you know, hand over fist. Yes, that's the right analogy. But she so she's got this power and this. Bitterness that 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 really make for a, a difficult character. Until we do, maybe have a little sympathy for her. Maybe when maybe. we, <laughs> I know, <laughs> when we learn a, a little more about her past and how sad it was to to you know that this this once happy, um, sweeter person mm-hmm. just just became ugly
2: so ugly and you know even just like I just envision her being like the spider in her parlor I mean she like <laughs> has you know she just leaves her shoes like out in the middle of the dark foyer mm-hmm. just to make sure that she can you know like she's hovering waiting for Amelia to come home and just stuff like that where it could either be like oh she's watching out for you or it's like oh she's controlling you and she's, she's spying a, on fascinating, you yeah, she's a fascinating character to me just the I mean, to think that her her son-in-law, who has been a widow for years and years and still is, like, under her thumb and still, like, you know, just lets this woman flirt with him weekly in the bakery and doesn't do anything about it. And it's fascinating how somehow this woman has been able to wield such power in so many ways and how it kind of warped just everything about who she was as a young woman. Um, So I just I found her to be a fascinating character
1: Oh, I'm Um, glad to. I was going to say I'm glad you liked her, but uh, clearly I don't like we don't like her. (laughs) (laughs) I think. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead.
0: I was just going to say, I think what's interesting about her and her like overall role in the story that as we read, she feels so much like that driving kind of. Even in the background, like influencing all these things, when you were writing it, did she come through that way for you? Like, did she kind of move the story forward, just because of of who she was and what she knew and what she
1: experienced? Yes, that's that's exactly right. She was um, she was the driving force, and I just couldn't wait for Amelia to find her voice and call her out and, and, you know, <laughs> so great. you know, to, to grab her, her power, her own power. Uh, so, yes.
2: Well, and I just wanted to tell you um, while we're on this subject of um, Amelia and, and grabbing her power and all of that, I just, both Amelia and Lucy really resonated with me. The fact that they were able to overcome this generations long stigma and also just, all of the beliefs that they've been taught to have about themselves for their lives. And they were able to dig down deep and find that core of inner strength and sort of, you know, go on this journey of self-discovery. And and I just, I loved that aspect of the novel. And, you know, going back to Rosa a little bit, to have Poppy be her, her complete opposite, you know, and to, to live with positivity and to live, with light, I just thought that was such an amazing aspect um, of your story, and I don't know. I, I would think Poppy would be your breath of fresh air after Rosa when you were writing her.
1: <laughs> she, was <laughs> she was good. She balance. was my palate cleanser, right? <laughs> she was. Uh, and I think for for uh, thank you for your comments, by the way. But um, I think that is exactly how she felt to Amelia, also who who never had that woman in her life, that that figure who lifted her up and, uh, you know, made her believe in herself and taught her um, to laugh and to let go and to find love and to, you know, take chances. So I, I I love that Amelia finally got that, because I do believe there are people who their entire lives, they, they've they got negative energy and, and li- have to live with that. Yes.
2: Um, and so to shift gears just a little bit, I have to tell you that I keep saying what are of <laughs> one of my favorite aspects of this book, but one of my favorite aspects of this book were just all your descriptions of the food and the pastries and the wine and the Cafes and the coffees, and all the different things that you wrote about throughout the story. And I'm wondering, I'm sure um, you had to do some research to do this part of the book justice. Am I right? And what type of
1: research did you have to do? Or are you a foodie yourself? Well, you are absolutely right. I had to do a lot of grueling research. It's, We're so sorry. I owe it to Peter. <laughs> It's just the kind of generous author I am. Um so yes, I, I did travel to Italy and um it was I loved it so much. And and the food, the um all the local wines. I mean every uh-huh. little village has their every farm has their own vineyard, I swear. So you're always drinking, and it's cheap as can be, too. (laughs) Um, It's just such a a great place. But I will tell you, I owe so much to my editor, Sarah Sarah Blumenstock, because I'm more of a, you know, let's get to the story and the dialogue. We don't need to hear all this description about Italy and the food. Oh, yes, we do. (laughs) 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 So Sarah... (laughs) Every time I would turn in a draft, Sarah would send it back saying more description, and so I'd be like, really? All right, (laughs) here's some more, and send it back, and the same thing, even more description. She would say. So she made, she must have known there was a pandemic coming, and people would be starved for world travel. So anyway, she she made the book, she created the descriptions, the beautiful descriptions. Um, She made those. Come the, possible.
2: So amazing. And Italy to me just felt like a character, like a living, breathing part of your story. It was such a beautiful backdrop to all the things that were happening in, in this story. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thanks. I loved it.
1: I sort of felt like the, the, the women's journey mirrored the places that they were. Like Venice is this you know, the winding maze of canals that, you know, and that's where the women kind of felt lost and they were just getting their, you know, bearings. And then they go on to Tuscany, which is Poppy's homeland. And they learn about the history of the Fontana family. And then finally, the Amalfi Amalfi Coast, which is just this beautiful, you know, pastel fishing villages overlooking the sea, and that's the most romantic place where Poppy is sure she's going to find her love. Oh, I love
0: So still kind of on the research train here, as you were researching, were there things that kind of you learned in passing that later became major parts of the plot for you?
1: Uh... Let's see the part. You know the, the the in the part about immigration. I didn't know how. You know how does that? How did that happen? And and was there a wave of immigrants from Italy at that time? Where, did we allow immigrants in? So uh, you know, in what kind of? How would they get here? Would it be uh-huh. ship or or? Oh. Um, so that that was interesting to me. And there wasn't. I didn't it was kind of hard to find, to find things. Um, but, uh, yeah, I found that, that part interesting.
0: I feel like Italy, you know, we don't hear a lot about Italy and how it relates to like early America. Um, Mm -hmm. we hear about, you know, France and England and to some degree, like Germany and Poland, but not so much Italy. So that like, now that you say that I think about it and I'm like, yeah, I guess it would be hard to, come across that information.
1: It it kind of was. So, um, but it was fun to, once I could, you know, once I did find a little tidbit, it's like, oh, okay, they're going to be on this ship and it's going to sail on such and such a day and it takes seven days to get here. And yeah, that was fun. So can we talk a bit about your writing
0: process kind of in general and what, um, what it looks like for you to sit down and start a novel?
1: Sure. Um, So generally an idea will come to me and I let it incubate a little bit And the story. Then either it seems to have legs and I can't stop thinking about it. Or if I do stop thinking about it, then, then I know that it's probably not my story. So once I have an idea, I, um, I generally have an ending in mind, and I will, I'm not one of these people who writes 30 pages of, you know, character. I love, I admire writers (laughs) who do that, but I... Me too. (laughs) (laughs) So I just kind of, a lot of it I have in my head, and then I take a lot of notes, um, roughly outlining, um, you know, the basic uh, plot points and, and, and things like that. Then I run it past my, uh, my agent, my wonderful agent, Jenny Bent, and she crushes me and tells me, (laughs) no, she, she usually does say, "Eh, what about, you know, she'll have, she definitely has opinions and she is always right. So she'll say, "Uh, this part doesn't work, or I don't like your midsection or whatever. And so once, I lick my wounds and (laughs) revise a little bit and then I start writing and I just usually write linear, you know, start at the beginning and, and just, and keep writing. And a lot of the story, like I said, I'll have basic things in mind, but then it fills out, um, luckily, uh, with, as, as I write and the characters then begin speaking to me, which is always a wonderful, wonderful (laughs) time.
0: Can you tell us anything about what you're working on now?
1: Sure. Um, It's the story of uh, a woman who's, you know, really been beat up. She's lost her job, her husband, Um, so she's on a road trip from Atlanta to her sister's house in northern Michigan, and she stops at a rest area and witnesses this awful woman who's berating her children. Um, we've all seen that woman, uh, you know, in the grocery store. (laughs) So, so my character has a confrontation with her and the woman is truly kind of deranged. So my character gets in her car and speeds off and two states later, she stops for the night. It's raining. She reaches in the back seat and one of the children has stowed away. And God! So that I, I'm is,
0: not sure what uh, one would do in such a situation uh,
1: it, it is a dilemma and it's not even her child it's a foster child who is begging her don't send me back there
0: oh dear so. oh dear <laughs> well I will definitely be uh, on the lookout for this oh yes <laughs> so
1: oh thank is.
0: you That is a fantastic premise. Thank you. So one of my very favorite things about getting to talk with authors is that you, people have some of the best book recommendations that I've I've ever gotten. And so I have to ask you because we love book recommendations here what have you read recently that you've really loved and want others to fall in love
1: with as well? Oh my gosh. There are so many great books. Okay. I'm going to give you um, my most recent. I'm right now reading um, the book of lost names by Lisa Wingate. And I oh, love it. Oh, the book of lost
0: friends. yes. Lost friends.
1: Oh my gosh. It's so good. It's so good.
0: Oh, Lisa um, Wingate is amazing.
1: She is amazing. I, I just came on to her. I've heard of her forever. Um, And I just read her, um, her earlier one. And I'm drawing a blank on the name of that one. It was also fabulous. Before We Were Yours. Before oh, We Were Yours. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. Uh, so that is my love. I also finished Glennon Doyle, Untamed. Have you guys read that? Oh, I've, I've heard, heard really these.
0: good things about that. So
1: good. So good. It's nonfiction, which I generally read fiction, but I just loved it so much. And I listened to it. I had to check. I'm like, this is Reese Witherspoon, who's narrating the book. She, her voice sounds just like Reese. And she does a great job narrating it. And it's full of wisdom. Um, yeah, I just loved it. And then another book that I thought was great um, was Samantha Bailey, Woman on the Edge. That's a thriller.
0: Oh, that's my book club pick for January. Oh, oh you're gonna love it.
1: Yeah, I'm so she's, excited. Sam is the nicest woman on earth. She's a wonderful. I've never met her in real in real life, um, but she's just a sweetheart, super super genuine. So, um, and another, I'll give one more is um, the Museum of Forgotten Memories. And, and and that is by um, an English author that I love. And you know what? I'm blinking on her name. Don't do this. <laughs> um, it'll come to me. Sorry. I can
0: include it um, Please. in the show notes. Okay, that's so great. Because I've seen it. Like, I'm not, like, her name isn't popping into my head either. But I have seen it on um, on a bunch of lists, like, of things that people were anticipating and things that people have loved.
1: So I will definitely include it. I I can't even believe I'm doing this. It's an unusual name, but um, she also wrote uh, uh, Goodbye Paris, which is a beautiful book also. She's she's a fabulous writer.
0: Amazing. So before I let you dash off to your next interview, can you let readers know where they can find you online?
1: Oh, that's so nice. Yes, I am uh, uh, Facebook Laurie Nelson Spielman author, uh, Twitter and LN Spielman and Instagram Laurie Nelson Spielman. It's a mouthful. I know I should have (laughs) should have time ago. Well, thank
0: you so much, not only for joining us today, but for sharing this fantastic story of female empowerment of love of family it is just a jewel of a book that I'm so excited to be recommending here oh
1: thank you so much you guys this was so much fun and her name is Anstie Harris that's right it is excellent (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh and she's lovely thank you guys so much it was such a pleasure
0: Okay, so let's talk about new books. I was really, really excited as I was looking at new releases, because there's just so much that I'm excited for. And I feel like a lot of November was a little bit, I don't know, like lukewarm. So we have lots of great stuff here. I hope you are ready to hear about many, many great books. The first bunch are going to be books that you've heard us talk about before, as always, on our Most Anticipated Books of December episode. And there are a bunch of them. Um, A lot of what we were looking forward to came out today. So I'm just going to quickly hit these and then move on to stuff that we haven't previously discussed. So Natalia is looking forward to The Cousins by Karen M. McManus, her young adult thriller. Kristen is super excited for the new Alyssa Cole, which is How to Catch a Queen. It's the first book in her new Runaway Royals series, so a contemporary romance about royals. She is also looking forward to a new urban fantasy from Danica Dark. This is The Vow, Black Arrowhead, book one. Stacy has a few things that she's excited about, first up being a debut novel by Denise Williams called How to Fail at Flirting, contemporary romance here. A historical romance by the incomparable Elizabeth Hoyt, When the Rogue Meets His Match, Greycourt, book 2. And If you know Stacy, you know that she cannot skip a J.R. Ward release day. So, of course, she is super excited about A Warm Heart in Winter, Black Dagger Brotherhood, number 18.5. Kira is looking forward to The Bitter Wine Oath by Hannah West, which is a kind of uh, occult horror novel. And I am super excited for the new A.R. Tori, which is called "Every Last Secret," to standalone um, kind of erotic thriller. And Brooke, along with me, um, is looking forward to the new Saba Tahir novel. This is the last book in her Ember in the Ashes series. Some young adult fantasy. This is a Sky Beyond the Storm. So those are a bunch of kind of big new releases as far as the book Beastresses are concerned. And now I have some other stuff to tell you about. So starting out with some young adult fiction, we are starting with The Ballad of Amy Miles by Christy Dallas Alley. This is a debut novel with LBGT themes about a young girl who goes on a quest to learn the truth about her mother and along the way makes some startling self-discoveries as well. Once again, it is The Ballad of Amy Miles and it's by Christy Dallas Alley. Then we have a fantastic young adult thriller. Um, I paid attention to this pretty much as soon as I saw how they were pitching it. This is The Good Girls by Claire Eliza Bartlett, and it is billed as Sadie meets One of Us is Lying. It's a feminist thriller for the Me Too era, and I'm super excited about this one. I loved Sadie, and anything that's compared to it gets me really, really excited. So this one is The Good Girls, and it's by Claire Eliza Bartlett. This next book I've been looking forward to for months. This is Admission. It's by Julie Buxbaum. And it is related to the college admission scandal that we've all been hearing about. And this focuses on the teenage girl, so the daughter of you know, the daughter who is admitted kind of fraudulently into college, and just kind of how people are raised in this super privileged world, and what it does when this comes crashing down around them. I cannot wait for this one. It is Admission, and it's by Julie Buxbaum. We also have a really interesting young adult fantasy. This is called A Plague of Roses, and it is by Diana Pingwika. This is an interesting premise I've never seen done before, a plague is turning all food into flowers. Um, I'm not sure how this works. It could either be really cool or kind of cheesy and frothy. I'm not sure, but it definitely caught my attention, so I thought it was worth highlighting here. So this is A Curse of Roses, and it's by Diana Pingwicka. This next book makes me really excited as well. This is *Heiress*, Apparently, Daughters of the Dynasty, book one. And the author is Diana Ma. This is the first in a series that follows the descendants of China's only recognized Empress Regent. I don't know a lot about Chinese history, but I do want to follow this and see how it goes. Um, We see a lot of things about the descendants of like kind of Western culture. So I'm interested to see some Eastern influences here. So this is Eris Apparently, Daughters of the Dynasty, book one, and it's by Diana Ma. I want to move on to some thrillers here. First up, we have the third book in the Kaz Freer series, featuring Cat Kinsella. This is Shed No Tears. Um, the first book is called Sweet Little Lies. I have not read it yet, although I've heard really good things about it from people who love like police procedurals and those types of thrillers. So if those are your jam, you might want to check this one out. It is Shed No Tears, Cat Kinsella, Book Three by British author Kaz Freer. We also have a new Jeff Lindsay book. Jeff Lindsay is best known for, of course, his Dexter series, but this is the second book in his Riley Wolf series. This is Fool Me Twice, and I had him on the podcast last year talking about the debut in this series, and I'm really interested to see where this character goes. It's a very unique premise um, for the series about a man who goes around collecting rewards um, for missing people. So this one is Full Me Twice, and it is Riley Wolf, book two by Jeff Lindsay. Then we have a historical novel. This is The Arctic Fury. It's by Greer McAllister, and I have read uh, Woman 99 by Greer McAllister last year. And I really enjoyed it. Um, Brooke has also read a couple of her books and enjoyed them as well. So this one, The Arctic Fury, is about a group of women who join a secret expedition in the 1850s in the wilderness. And apparently, a sensational murder trial ensues when not all of them return from this trip. So this is one that I definitely want to check out. It is called The Arctic Fury, and it's by Greer McAllister. How about some romance? First up in the romance category, we have Second Chance on Cypress Lane. Holly Grove Island Book One by Reese Ryan. And Stacy talked about a Reese Ryan book a couple of weeks ago on the podcast when we talked about books set in different places that we'd lived. And I know that she had a lot of really positive things to say about Ryan's writing. And so when I saw her um, releasing a new book today... I thought that it would be a good thing to point out here. So once again, it is Second Chance on Cypress Lane, and it's Holly Grove Island, book one by Reese Ryan. Then we have a sort of contemporary romance by Sophie Cousins. This is called This Time Next Year. And it is about a girl and a boy who are born on New Year's Eve, one minute apart, and their lives have kind of mirrored each other in some really interesting ways. And of course, this begs the question, like, are they destined for a happily ever after together? It's this time next year, and it is by Sophie Cousins. And lastly, I am delighted to tell you that there is a new Loretta Chase book out today. This is called 10 Things I Hate About the Duke. It's Difficult Dukes Book 2, again, by Loretta Chase. The first book in this series, which was a Duke in shining armor, I really enjoyed. It came out in 2017. It was so much fun. Loretta Chase just sparkles when she writes this, like, really witty banter, this kind of hijinks like madcap situations that people get themselves into. I just love her writing so much. Her Dressmaker series is one of my very favorites. And I'm just so excited to see another book by her out this week, especially if you're an audio reader. I highly recommend her books. They're usually narrated by the marvelous Kate Redding, who does a fantastic job. So I highly recommend that you give it a try that way if you're at all interested in audiobooks. That, again, is 10 Things I Hate About the Duke. Difficult Dukes, book two, by Loretta Chase. And that, my friends, is all I have for you today. But it looks to me like a great assortment of fantastic books. So I hope that you have found more than a thing or two to add to your TBR pile this week. I hope you are all staying safe and well. I hope your Thanksgiving was safe and happy and healthy and all those things that we wish for one another as the holidays approach.